and welcome to another episode of VR Side Chats. It's been a hectic few weeks, hence no new episodes, but I am back with another one from the archives. This week's interview comes courtesy of another VR Alt Space event with the director of Extravaganza, Ethan Shaftel. Extravaganza traps the audiences in an extraordinarily crude puppet show that slowly becomes an offensive parody in response to the clueless executive played by comedian Paul Shear. So rather than listen to me waffle on, here's my chat with Ethan Shaftel. Ethan, thank you so much for taking your time out to, to come and chat with us. Oh yeah, are you kidding? An opportunity to come into VR to talk about VR? I would miss <laughs> that for sure. Uh, thank you so much awesome, for having awesome. me and thanks to the VR team for hosting. This is super cool. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, do you want to give like everyone a little bit of an intro about yourself and like how you sure. got into this industry, maybe? Yeah, I um, my background is mostly you know traditional film, and uh, when I say traditional film, I mean you know everything that's not immersive that happens on a TV yeah. or a or a movie screen, um, and that's what I was really interested in. And you know, as a as a teenager, and when I was exploring and wh- where I went to, uh, I went to traditional, you know, film school. Um, but I've always had a real interest into um, interactive storytelling. I was never much of a gamer. There are games that I played, but I was always interested in interactivity when it came to story and whatever that meant. And even in, in film school, I was doing some interactive projects um, sort of mm-hmm. on the side or as sort of uh, experiments. But at that time, there wasn't really a place to, I mean, like film festivals didn't tend to accept uh, anything but a sort of a, st- a short or a feature. Um, and so yeah. a lot of those projects just kind of died. I had my career pre-VR was a mix of doing, um, uh, you know, a- I was an editor of music videos for a long time and commercials. And then I worked a lot in uh, screen content for big pop concerts and tours. And the interesting thing about that is that that's fundamentally immersive. So obviously not a headset, yeah. but you're you know looking you're thinking about audience attention uh, in a different way than you are when you're thinking about um, film. Um, and so when when you know about four years ago when this wave of VR, uh, you know my colleagues were talking about it. I would see it in the news and um, Facebook bought Oculus, and it seemed like a really good fit. And some of the first experiments I did were actually going back and taking out of the proverbial desk drawer interactive projects that I had developed and experimented with, you know, 10 years prior, uh, and thought to myself, well, now this, there might be a medium for this, you know, and some of the first Mm -hmm. stuff I did in VR as just rough prototypes were literally projects I'd made a first version of as a desktop, you know, interactive film, uh, you know, 10 years earlier. So where did the idea for Extravaganza come about then? So Extravaganza um, was born of sort of a couple different lines of thinking. One was um, I don't really have an animation background, but I had been collaborating with a very talented animator named Frank Strangini, who, who animated Extravaganza, in order to uh, make prototypes and previs live-action VR experiences that I was pitching and trying to get off the ground. And so we were making these very cool you know, in Cinema 4D primarily, these very cool previs pieces that were intended just as a sales tool, you know, to get a budget to then shoot live action 360 video. Um, mm-hmm. And 
not, you know, weren't able to raise any of that money. The budgets were high, uh, the, the risk tolerance was low, the people that we were talking to, and it sort of seemed like, well, wait, we're doing this really cool stuff in Cinema 4D, why don't we just, you know, get something finished out there, we'll make something that's animated, and it's a great place to experiment um, in VR because you're not constrained by the the tools themselves, the 360 video cameras and the stitching and the post-process. So it was like, that, that was the first thought, you know, let's not make a previous piece, let's make a finished piece and let's get it into film festival, let's put it out there. Um, and so we, I knew that that was, you know, going to be uh, one ingredient of it. And then, you know, the content of what Extravaganza ended up being came from a bunch of different thinking. I had been thinking along uh, for quite a while about, um, you know, when technologies are invented and what kind of cultural elements get represented just sort of by accident and like mm -hmm. um, thinking about like, well, what if Walt Disney had invented VR, you know, in the 1950s and it was like little mm -hmm. miniatures, you know, and little like animatronics like you'd see in a Disneyland ride and it wouldn't be uh, like, it wouldn't be like the headset that you see now that has, you know, LED screens inside, but it would be something much more like a miniature version of Jungle Cruise or uh, uh, Pirates mm -hmm. of the Caribbean, and thinking about like all the different cultural prejudices that are represented in those first versions of those rides so that largely Disney has like stripped out. But you know, when you're looking at pre um, late '90s or whenever they started, I mean, even until even more recently, on if you're in on the Jungle Cruise, if you're on um, uh, the ride at Disneyland. Uh, Price of the Caribbean, you're seeing all these kinds of things that are baked in just by virtue of who made it and what era it was. And then a couple mm -hmm. decades later, it's cringeworthy. You're looking at, at uh, yeah, yeah. And, and the companies have to take it out if it survives that long. And so like that was basically the genesis of it. Like, okay, so Disney invents VR technology or that, that company invents VR and they make a little version of Jungle Cruise in a headset mm -hmm. and this is the pitch between his engineer and, you know, Walt looking at it and, and he loved it. He's like, this is great. Everyone's going to love this, you know? Uh, and that, you know, that would be an interesting place to put the viewer in a, in a location that they don't really expect, which is that and instead of really being the viewer, you're in, in the piece, you're in the ride and mm -hmm. leaning into that lack of agency is making that show something that you would object to, you know, the actions of your avatar in the show are not what you would choose to do if you had agency. And so that just kind of emphasizes the limitation of the technology, at least this, this 360 video animation. It's not interactive. You can't choose to do something else. You can't choose what character you are. Uh, and, and making that sort of choice worth it by emphasizing it and making it an extreme version of, of lack of agency. Hmm. And that's awesome. really the, I love yeah, that. that's really extravagant. I love that. So, you got you you got Paul Shear involved. How did how did that happen? Yeah, well, because that's like well, a, that's a is, sort of sizable name to yeah. He's, to a, get he's a real dude. Uh, yeah, I mean, by virtue of um, being in LA for a long time and going to you know UCB classes and taking improv classes and knowing people much funnier than me and better writers than I that uh, are comedians, <laughs> um, I uh, super honest. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's very cool to be, I mean, one of the reasons to even, to be in a city like Los Angeles is because it, uh, you can have access to some of those things and uh, some of these, mm. um, these meetings, you know, the, the opportunities to meet 
people that are there um, to do comedy and to, to be comedy writers. And so basically, you know, I just had a friend who was a, who had been a writing partner with a couple different um, really well-known um, comedians and knew Paul and knew a lot of that community. And I just asked him like, hey, you know, will you help me cast this? Will you, do you think anyone you know would be interested in doing this? Because it makes a big difference when you start talking about going to festivals or, or gathering eyeballs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, casting really adds legitimacy. Like you don't, I mean, on anything really, just as a viewer, if I can see somebody I likes in a piece or a, an actor I respect or, a, you know, who I know their work, it means it means something like, okay, it may not be a waste of time. It could be a waste of time, but it, it does give a, a, a thumbs up. And mm -hmm. um, so I did want to cast it with, with, with people who had an audience out there, especially in VR. It's hard to convince somebody to, to, to watch VR content and to put on their headset or, or to take do whatever it takes to, to get active to it. So it came down to, it was a priority for me to, to, to put some comedians that I liked in it and we brainstormed who might say yes and by virtue of being vr as well there's a bit of a novelty so an actor who's a busy you know busy person they're in lots of stuff like paul's in a million things um mm. if i had asked him hey would you do my short you know web series or or, or short film yeah. the answer might be you know i'm busy but vr was new i he had actually already been in a 360 comedy piece that youtube or yeah i think youtube created or no it was funny or die so funny i knew he was yeah, uh, yeah was a, a interest in the medium and in fact um i had heard he had a vibe and that was you know several years ago okay. so i was like okay well if anybody will say yes he will and uh he agreed and we did it by with sag rules another good tip for okay. filmmakers is you know the sag low budget or the sag new media um designations if you just go ahead and make they're very lenient for low budget projects and they're very hmm. uh, happy to work with low budget uh, filmmakers and student filmmakers, if you go through the hassle of setting up your project right, then the actor doesn't have anyone, you know, doesn't have any obstacle. Their, ma their managers, their agents don't get mad at them. They can agree to do it um, and I'll follow all the rules. They may still do it anyways, but it makes the obstacles a lot fewer and it shows that you're serious about it. So we did it. Hmm. Everything was official. It was, it was a SAG new media agreement project. Um, I believe that's what it was. And um, uh, which didn't require uh, any significant funds. It's just sort of the hassle to, to make it work. And then we filmed with John and Paul. And John Gimberling, by the way, is, is uh, the other actor. He's awesome. He's mm -hmm. been in lots of stuff, Broad City for one. Uh, they both came for about three hours. That's all we needed from them. So oh, wow. uh, keep your ask, you know, to be as, as minimal as possible. Try to follow the rules so no one else has to groan and go along with it. Uh, and, mm -hmm. you know, you might, get a, you might get a yes when you didn't expect it. Oh, awesome, and he's like he—he he seems sort of perfect for the role as well. When you when you're in it, and then you sort of hear that voice sort of over and over throughout it. You just—I don't know. I yeah. couldn't imagine anyone else like, you know, playing that part now. Really. Um, yeah, he was. Kind of perfect and for it. That actually brings up an interesting point, which really was helpful. When I mentioned that animation was a great place to work for VR, what I mean really is that you can change things later when something's not working. Um, you can modify. You know, if you shoot 360 video. You go through the stitching process and you start editing your film and you wish, you know, a trash can was in a different spot or that's the, uh, the view out the window is different to direct people's attention or a shadow falls differently. Um, you can't, you're, that becomes a hugely expensive visual effect. But in animation, you can make these kinds of changes. We did change where shadows fell in the room so that movement in the room catches your eye at the right point. We made all these little changes. 
And when we talk about the actors, you know, you'll notice you don't see their mouths through most of the movie. Paul, it's his eyes that are the only thing visible for a lot of it, uh, except for tiny bits at the beginning and end. So really, what, most of what they're doing is voice acting, and that also is very malleable and changeable. And um, it was a good thing, too, because the first version of this, I was getting feedback that I didn't like about the project, and I needed to make changes, and basically rewrote almost every single line. Uh, oh, wow. And both Paul and John allowed me to come and um, record their audio again, just as a as a pure voiceover, and it was fully able to be implemented in the movie without any effort because you can't see their mouths, so they might they can be saying anything. So we changed really every single line of the movie, except wow. tiny bits at the beginning, in response to a kind of early versions and, and realizing that it just wasn't working how I intended. Wow. So, so how long did it take to, to put the whole thing together then, like from concept to completion? Um, that's a good question. We started in um, the summer months, and really what we were aiming for was Tribeca's deadline. Tribe and really, I mean, obviously Tribeca is a great film festival, but the reason that was our goal was they were the latest of the deadlines of sort of the main festival season. You know, Sundance yeah. has late late summer kind of deadlines for, for VR and for films, um, and Tribeca was in December. So we were like, okay, well, we might actually be able to make this in time now and starting in like uh, maybe it was July. So um, July, August, September, October, November. You know, it was three or four months of um, pretty intensive work to the version that we entered into Tribeca, and then we worked after that entry for about another month making really major changes and then, or major sort of story changes that actually didn't have much of an effect on the visuals, but it did have a lot to do with how people interpreted the movie um, in that voiceover and changing the characters. And then we um, sent that in to Tribeca and updated that, that uh, a little bit later in like January. So it was about a you know, six month project. Nice, nice. So you did like some test screenings and stuff when it was all done then, just like prior to the rewrites you did? Yeah, I, um, and sorry, your audio got a little bit, I'm not sure if I heard exactly your question about test screenings, is that right? Yeah, yeah you did like a little sort of test screening before you did the rewrites. Yeah, yeah. Just to sort of get other people's reactions. Totally. You know, it's so important with anything, but um, especially with VR, well, especially with anything new, anything experimental and uh, you know, a lot of, many of the instincts I had just didn't turn out to be correct when I actually put yeah. my friends and family in a headset and sat and watched where they looked and watched mm. and talked to them afterwards. And, uh, you know, luckily we really had the opportunity to change that because it was, um, you know, animation and, and we could fix a lot of issues and really hone it to be about the best version of itself that it could be. Um, and I still think it has lots of problems, um, you know, just as the, looking back at any piece, I'm always seeing the flaws, but I do think that yeah. we really got it working uh, sort of as good as possible. Awesome, awesome. So let's uh, move on to the uh, other two films that you've done recently that have been doing the, the festival rounds. Uh, if you have play, can uh, change the thing. Yeah. Oh, space buddies, space buddies. Let's, let's chat about space buddies. So, yeah, so sure. tell us about, tell us about this one. 
I can tell you, yeah, I'd love to share a little bit about these projects. So unfortunately, they're not um, available, so you can't go and see these. And I, I, what I'll try to sort of limit my comments to is some of the things that I learned in Extravaganza and how, you know, how I was, I think, able to uh, continue to work on some techniques and, and maybe hone something that, that will continue to work across more than one project. Um, but just to mention, you know, to tell you a little about it, Space Buddies just played, uh, premiered at uh, Tribeca this year, um, when it was great to go back to that festival after two years, you know, uh, from when Extravaganza played. And uh, it's a very funny um, comedy piece where the viewer is on a, in a space capsule headed to Mars, the worst crew imaginable, uh, led by Rob Riggle, who is awesome and hilarious. And you'll notice, you know, this is animated again, which I, I continue to think is a great place to just work in VR and work on the language of VR and, and to hone these techniques and experiment, you know. Um, and so this project and the other one uh, on the other slide, uh, Kaiju Confidential, are both produced by um, the same company, um, Shadow Machine, um, which makes a bunch of great television. These are their first VR projects. Um, I mean, they make Bojack Horseman, for instance. Uh, so they're great, and, and they do animated comedy really well on TV. And then, you know, they hired me and brought me on to do, uh, because of Extravaganza, largely, and some of the other things I showed them that I was working on, um, to, to be the, you know, the, the VR element there, uh, to bring that to their team. And so, uh, both, let's see, oh yeah, so this poster behind me is Kaiju Confidential. That premiered at Sundance this year. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I was really working on, if you've seen Extravaganza or trying to take from that into these two projects, was um, uh, really trying to move the camera in a way that was comfortable. Um, you'll notice in Extravaganza, every time you change bodies, you zoom down into the ground very quick. Uh, like if you're pulled, like as if you're pulled down, uh, which you, you know, by the mechanism of the stage, that happens very quickly. You know, each of them are less than a second. There's a lot of motion blur, and it really operates more like a cut than a, a camera movement. You know, you're really only aware of your view being refreshed, even though you have that sense of directionality. Well, in both of these projects, in, in Kaiju and, and Space uh, Space Buddies, um, we really spent a lot of effort on finding the best position for the camera and then moving between them in a way that was editorial. It was more like a cut than a move, but it um, uh, happens very quickly. There's a lot of motion blur. It's not really experienced like a, a glide. It's really experienced more like a, an edit, but yet you continue, you keep the sense of directionality. It keeps your screen direction um, uh, consistent. And by following these sort of movement rules, I think we were able to make something that was very dynamic, more dynamic than, than most uh, VR um, without any of the kind of motion sickness issues or the movement issues or the um, uh, discomfort that is associated with it that I feel, for instance, when I see things that have slow, long dollies or turns or things like that. Uh, so yeah. I'm just working on the kind of threading the needle on dynamism in a way that, that is get, provides fast pace and constantly refreshes your view as a viewer and, and uh, emphasizes the story from those point of views. 
Brilliant. <laughs> well, thank you again, Ethan. Uh, please, if I show Ethan some yeah. emoji love. Really appreciate it. There we go. There we go. Take a little. We got there. We got there. As usual, shout out to Ethan for joining us that evening and massive thanks to Veer for letting me put these out. Also, I'd be super grateful if you could leave us a review on iTunes as apparently it really helps. If you're a filmmaker yourself, Veer are currently looking for cinematic VR projects to fund with budgets of up to $50,000. Crazy. I'll put the link to more details about that in the show notes, but if you have a project that you're looking to get funded, then it's definitely worth looking into. If there are any VR filmmakers you would like me to try and get on the podcast, or if you're one yourself and want to jump on an episode to talk about your work, feel free to reach out to me either on Instagram or Twitter at at Daniel K. Hatton. That's H-A-T-T-O-N. Also, feel free to share your own projects with me, as I'd love to see them. Thanks again for taking the time out of your busy schedules to listen to the podcast. I really appreciate the support. Take care, and I shall see you on the next one. <laughs>